You can subscribe to this show by way of the subscribe at Substack button at truthjihad.com. Hey, welcome back. It's the second hour of Truth Jihad Radio. Kevin Barrett doing the Canadian Freedom Fighter show tonight. That's right. Canada, along with Australia, was one of the worst COVID dystopias. Maybe, uh, I don't know about New Zealand. It seemed like, yeah, these, these parts of the Anglosphere that never experienced the uh, republicanism of the United States actually did a little bit worse during COVID in terms of the, the crackdown. But then they also did better in terms of the emergence of a freedom movement pushing back against it. So that's why we're talking tonight with these Canadian freedom fighters, John Manley. And now in the second hour, Ray McGinnis is coming on. Now, Ray McGinnis, I actually didn't know that he was on board with the Canadian freedom movement until fairly recently when he sent me his article on the Freedom Convoy and the Collapse of Canadian Liberalism. It's an excellent article pointing out that the ultra-liberal Trudeau of the Liberal Party, a champion of freedom, right? That's what liberalism is. It's a philosophy whose highest value is freedom, especially freedom of the individual, that somehow morphed into authoritarian totalitarianism. Uh, what's with that? Well, let's get into it. Uh, hey, welcome, uh, Ray McGinnis. And by the way, uh, Ray, he's, you're, the, you're the author of Unanswered Questions, What the September 11th Families Asked and the 9-11 Commission Ignored, which is probably the most important 9-11 truth book of the past several years. So, hey, congratulations on that, and welcome to the show. Hello, Ray? <laughs> okay, we're still working on get, getting Ray. Apparently... Let's see what's the what's the story here. If I look in my uh, little box, and we'll see if if Ray is there. Hmm. Let's get rid of the chat window. No, I don't see him. Um, so hopefully he will be showing up soon. And I'll send a message to make sure that he does. So uh, Ray's article on the. Hello. Oh, there he is. Hello, Ray. Hey, welcome. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. I was ready to get a Skype call, but I got a cell phone call. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, maybe the, I think the Skype didn't work or for some reason or other. Uh, so, hey, Bill, blame it on Bill Gates. Ever since Microsoft took over Skype, it hasn't been the same. Okay. <laughs> so, it's, it blame a lot of things on Bill Gates these days. <laughs> <laughs> good to speak with you. Yeah, good to have you back. So, uh, we're we're changing topic. Last time we were uh, talking about your book on the September 11th families and their questions for the 9/11 Commission, which never got answered. And your book on that is a very important uh, 9/11 Truth book. Um, and and I hadn't realized that you were um, basically part of, or at least uh, agreeing with, the Canadian Freedom Movement, which many of us here in the United States have been cheering for, as the Canadian truckers went to Ottawa. And uh, ended up getting uh, getting crushed by the strong arm of the fearless authoritarian leader. Uh, wait a minute, the liberal leader, <laughs> Justin Trudeau. Yeah, liberal. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This is this is full of. Um, oh wow, <laughs> it's uh, it's emotional for me because I mean I've been uh, like going back to my my grandfather on my dad's side was a farmer in Alberta, northern Alberta, and he voted for the. United Farmers of Alberta and the uh, the CCF, which was the forerunner of the New Democratic Party. So for his whole life, from 1921 to 1980, in his last election, he voted for 
left-wing parties in Canada. And, and he was very, you know, formative. And, and, and so, you know, I've, I've been, you know, at times a member of the New Democratic Party. I've got membership to that. Sometimes I voted for the Liberal Party in, uh, if I've been living in a riding, as we call it, uh, in, up in Canada, where it was just basically a conservative liberal race so nobody else was going to win. So it's, um, it's very ironic that, I'm, uh, that I found myself uh, increasingly skeptical of, of the government's narrative. I mean, everything happened initially... I think it was, is it Rachel Walensky? Is she the CDC head? Yeah, yeah, R- Rochelle um, Walensky, yeah. right. Yeah, Rochelle Walensky. And she had made, um, she'd been interviewed on CNN, I think with Wolf Blitzer in late August, conceding that, well, actually, uh, the vaccines don't prevent transmission or infection. Now, um, so, but all of a sudden, in the middle of, a, of an election campaign last September, the prime, prime minister Trudeau decided to to go, you know, hardline and say, you know, start demonizing anybody who wasn't vaccinated, and um, and it's been that way ever, ever since. And and I mean, and I had, um, I mean, I'm somebody who was, you know, from the from the outset. I mean, I'm. You know, I mean, I, clearly, I look under rocks, having written my book on the September 11th families. But my instinct is not to begin the first day a news story comes out, most of the time, and just believe it's nonsense. I mean, I, I will give it the time of day, even if I'm skeptical of it, until I really feel like I've got clear, solid evidence that something is amiss. And so I was, with most Canadians and many people around the world, you know, I was encouraged with the lockdown to start banging uh, pots and pans on my balcony from March 2020. And uh, I did did, did, you, did you actually bang any pots and pans yourself? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are lots of people who were in Canada. At least this is what people were doing. We were banging pots and pans outside of our homes, our balconies, in our apartment buildings uh, to support the health care workers. And this happened every night at 7 p.m. And it went on with, with, you know, I mean, well into the late summer, I'd say, of 2021. So there was a real um, citizen rallying to support the, the healthcare workers, the nurses and the doctors. And, and so that would happen every night. Uh, and, and then I had a friend I've known since childhood. Who, uh, who was very eager to get his AstraZeneca uh, vaccine. And he went and got it. And uh, within, uh, a, you know, 18 hours or so, he had a brain aneurysm. And uh, he can't walk, he can't speak, he can't work. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. And, you know, there are an awful lot of people who have, seem to have these stories. Like an awful lot of people know somebody yeah. who was killed or injured by these vaccines. Yeah, I mean it was it was shocking. I, I mean, and and um, and I went to the uh, healthcare facility where he was getting rehabilitations. You know, you know he still can't walk or you know, but or speak. But but anyway, um, and then there were a couple of other. His mother, who's in her, her late eighties at the time, uh, had a bad reaction, which is more 
respiratory. It, it, you know, she used to walk, you know, happily and go and get groceries from her apartment. Now she was, you know, a, a block after a block of walking, she was winded. You know, so, you know, and there was somebody else who I knew who got AFib. And so, you know, and it, they all were, you know, just days after they happened to get the vaccine. So I knew that, I mean, I knew, I mean, I did get the vaccine. Uh, there were a whole bunch of different uh, factors in my decision, um, import, important events coming up, funerals, weddings, and, and, and none of them could I show up at if, unless I was doubly vaccinated. Uh, I knew that even I, though the vaccine doesn't stop transmission, I knew, I knew it didn't stop transmission, but it would, it, you know, this is the first time and I'm somebody who's traveled to 20, you know, 25, 30 nations in my life. I've got Japanese encephalitis vaccine, yellow fever, you know, certainly had polio and smallpox when I was a child and so on. So my, uh, my view generally toward vaccines Although I wouldn't always get all of the all of the suggested vaccines when I went off to Southeast Asia or, or Central America or, or, or Europe, um, I generally got you know I, I took the recommendations seriously, and I and I never thought for myself that if uh, if I got a vaccine like yellow fever that that I would be dealing with anything more than a very sore arm, a headache, maybe a little fever, and it would go away. So seeing these friends of mine uh, have these reactions uh, was the beginning of my uh, not being able to let go of questioning what we're being told. Um, so, yeah. yeah, that's that's a story I've heard from others, including Steve Kirch on this show mentioned that that's what got him onto his uh, his current line of work, which is all about pushing back against this, was seeing his uh, people he knew uh, having you know, being badly hurt by these vaccines. And oh boy, so so once you started uh, questioning it, where what happened then? Well, I I watched. I, I observed the news unfolding. Uh, the uh, the prime minister running suddenly uh, in, in September for the last few weeks of the campaign. Uh, he got elected with, I think, 31% of the vote. We have five parties, and it's a whole mix. But anyway, he got, he got a minority government. And then uh, there was, although there had been all this uh, assurance in the spring and even into the summer that people wouldn't be required to get vaccinated, now it was a requirement in, in, in and across the country and the provinces uh, in, in October, November, variously. And, and the consequences were very severe. If anybody worked in the federal government, worked uh, in, a, in a hospital, uh, there were many, you know, many different uh, settings where people were told, you're either going to get doubly vaccinated at the time or you're going to be fired. And the consequence for that is... Uh, once you're fired, you will not be able to get employment insurance, which you've paid into. Uh, and uh, and then the, and over in New Brunswick, uh, there was guidance to grocery stores to not let unvaccinated people go into grocery stores. Whoa. So, that, so wait a minute. So, uh, so you can't have money and you can't buy food. That kind of uh, – <laughs> maybe they should just execute you and be done with it. Yeah. I mean <laughs> – this is this is uh, I mean there's there's 
there's the view of some as well. Everybody can make a choice, but but really the choice was uh, an awful lot of punitive penalties. In in Quebec, uh, you weren't allowed to go to Costco or liquor stores and so on. Uh, and they they considered all over decided to back down. In Quebec, they were going to start having a tax uh, on on the unvaccinated. Something reflecting what Austria was implementing, and I think Austria also backed down, but Austria's model was every three months, if you're unvaccinated, you get um, you get a fine of about, uh, in U.S. dollars, about $3,800. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah. If, you're, if you're facing a bill like that every, every three months, and the consequence of not paying it is going to jail for a year, I mean, you know, they didn't go go through with it, but but the rhetoric and the you know the is is out there. So, and and all along, then you've got you know the numbers of different people around the world in different countries, uh, stories out of Israel about about people who are, I guess, they were already into the third and fourth booster by the w- winter in Israel and Iceland. Uh, other other countries that that had high uh, numbers of people who were getting the booster, even who were who were now going into hospital and ICU uh, with 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 COVID. So it was clear to me by by the winter uh, that, that that there was lots of information suggesting that that the vaccines didn't prevent transmission or infection, and yet uh, in uh, in mid-January, the Prime Minister and your President Biden decided that anybody who's a trucker, uh, a group of people who in Canada were hailed by the Prime Minister as heroes of the pandemic, who for two years um, uh, trucked groceries, uh, hardware supplies, uh, hospital supplies, uh, Botox for, uh, for news anchors, and all kinds of things. <laughs> uh, and, and we're seen as, as the you know the great the great heroes of the pandemic. And all of a sudden now, even though we've been driving alone, almost always they drive alone uh, in their cab, um, they were now being perceived well characterized as somehow a threat, uh, a threat in this way that's uh, crossing the border. They weren't a threat if they if they drove their truck. Uh, you know, from uh, across Ontario. Uh, but if they crossed the, the, the U.S.-Canada border, they were now a threat. And, and again, it was, it, it crossed the line for a lot of Canadians because it didn't seem to make any sense. Yeah, yeah. It didn't make sense to a lot of Americans, too, who also noticed that a lot of uh, undocumented people were flooding across the southern border and you know they they weren't necessarily uh, totally COVID free or or vaccinated, which is a different thing. Yeah, that, the, the the whole thing seemed completely insane to to a whole lot of people. And, and the, what's also part of the mix is the is the prime minister's uh, reputation and character. He has run since two thousand. 13, when he became the liberal leader and 2015 since he became the prime minister as uh, a person who is, who is liberal in the classic sense, who listens to people, who's, who's uh, embraces tolerance and inclusion 
and and who 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 seems to say I'm sorry at least once or, or more a year about something that's happened in our past, and then all of a sudden he's taking this hard line about about the truckers. And uh, initially, uh, you know, they, I, I I knew I had a personal trainer, and his wife works down at the uh, in Vancouver at the. Uh, in the in the har- in the harbor, uh, and she knew that there was going to be a uh, um, I guess convoy that was starting. Uh, interestingly, the first day the convoy you know was getting ready to go, friends of mine were telling me that on uh, on local radio shows there were there were stories about truckers who were blocking uh, roads, who were protesting the condition of the highways in British Columbia. And anyway, that that story went away in about 36 hours. It was a really interesting uh, story that wasn't really, um, I mean, it was clear that the truckers were going on this convoy. And and then you have um, the convoy, you know, builds up steam, uh, I think between, variously I've seen between 30, if all the trucks were together going from Western Canada out to Ottawa, there might have been between 30 and 60 miles of trucks and, and a smaller amount coming out from Atlantic Canada, from Halifax. And, and from the CBC and CTV broadcasts, it was clear that, that what the truckers were encountering uh, in minus 30 degrees Celsius weather, I don't know what the conversion is in Fahrenheit, but it's pretty darn cold. <laughs> yeah, that converts and, to really cold. Yeah, really cold. So uh, people don't stand outside, uh, you know, for for hours to watch this big convoy go by unless they really think it's important. And and the truckers were seeing a sea of Canadian flags. Uh, also, uh, you know, so they finally get to uh, to Ottawa, I think, on the 28th or 29th, and 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 the prime minister. I mean, they they wanted. You know, the leaders of the convoy wanted to meet with the prime minister. Amongst them were people like Dr. Paul Alexander, who uh, who was in the uh, you know in advising on the I think he was on the COVID committee. Uh, in any event, he was involved with Peter Navarro and other people, and and he was there along with a number of other doctors, and then there were other scientists. They wanted to simply say. Uh, we'd like to have a meeting with uh, Dr. Uh, Teresa Tam, who's the chief medical officer in Canada, uh, and and other other of her counterparts. Uh, we'd like to have a meeting with the prime minister and and various uh, ministers in the cabinet that it would make sense to talk about, you know, minister of the, of the economy and so on, to talk about the harms that are done economically, as well as other things, because. Uh, you know, the, although there were only about you know 10% of the truckers who were unvaccinated in Canada, uh, many, there were many vaccinated truckers who who, who joined the convoy to to protest uh, uh, um, inflexible rules that just didn't make sense to people. And yet the prime minister was denouncing um, truckers and people who were unvaccinated generally as racists and misogynists and white supremacists. And and I, you know, I I was listening to this. One of the first things that came out as an aside also was, you know, before the Ukraine war started, um, uh, it was alleged that that Vladimir Putin was engineering the whole convoy, and maybe 
uh, the truckers were actually Russian agents. <laughs> yeah, and, they blame, blame Putin for almost everything these days. Well, I, I mean, I think it's quite it's quite a, a thing if, if you really are able from another country to convince uh, uh, thirty to sixty miles worth of truck drivers to to do your bidding. I mean, it just it just was convoluted. I just I I, I just didn't buy it. And and also, I was able to see there there, there were mostly. I mean, Rupa Subramania is an Indo-Canadian reporter. She does stuff for the National Post in Canada and sometimes for the Wall Street Journal. She uh, is from uh, India originally and moved to Canada. And she uh, did a number of, uh, of, of articles. Talk, you know, she was there every day from the first day uh, through to the uh, passage of the Emergencies Act. And, and she would meet with people. And she talked about how I mean, there's all kinds of Afro-Canadians, Asian-Canadians, Indo-Canadians, uh, First Nations or Indian uh, Canadians, uh, it was. Now, now how did how did Putin convince all those people to be white supremacists? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, Rupert Subramanian said she, you know, she's visiting, she's going several times a day to interview people, hundreds and hundreds of people over the the course of of her of her of, of the three weeks about the convoy. She said she never encountered any. Uh, any racist uh, or or misogynist. There was nobody uh, looking down at her because she was a woman or a woman of color. Uh, other people, uh, Anita Krishna, who's with Global TV, who uh, is also Indo-Canadian. Uh, Dr. Julie Poness, who's a woman. Uh, Daniel Magassi, who's an Asian-Canadian doctor. I mean, there were there were lots of people. It was it was clear to see. From just looking at people's videos, who were who were you know cell phone videos they post on on YouTube or Twitter, that there were there was a real uh, ethnic diversity and a gender diversity in the group. I mean, there was a lot of um, uh, replaying of one lone person walking around with with a, a Nazi swastika, another person uh, who had uh, a, like a black mask on their face with a Confederate flag. And the Confederate flag I mean, just makes no sense at all. It, it, it seems like it's it's a it's a political theater prop for uh, news uh, agencies to pick up in America, where a Confederate flag means something. Because right, I, I, I didn't even know Confederate flags were a thing in Canada. No, no, nobody's trying to resurrect the ghost of Robert E. Lee. You know, <laughs> so you know, so it's you know, so this you know, so you got. Uh, you know, people, you know, people who are, you know, one of the, uh, Daniel Bulford is one of the prime minister's former uh, bodyguards, a sniper for him to protect the prime minister. who was, you know, speaking on the stage uh, against the vaccine mandates. You know, there's a lot of people who, um, but yet you've got the media, uh, the mainstream media in Canada, uh, you know, they've demonized the, the truckers because they're white supremacists. Uh, they're all uh, in Putin's pocket. Uh, and then there was a story about a, on the 6th of February, there's a story about uh, an apartment building, uh, maybe 20 or 30 stories high, in downtown uh, Ottawa on Metcalf Street. And uh, somebody suggested, I mean, there was, a, there was an arson uh, at five in the morning. Uh, somebody who's in the, in the apartment uh, 
comes is up for some reason at that early p- p- time in the morning, and 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 asks, "Are you truckers? Uh, and what are you doing? Oh, you're, you're you're burning down the building. Okay, I won't call nine one one. I'll just go back to sleep." Uh, so, I mean, a lot of a lot of what was coming out around the story didn't make sense. Uh, nonetheless, the mayor uh, Mayor Watson of of Ottawa talked about uh, these. Uh, these violent uh, truckers who come from across the country to uh, to make mischief and and to and to harm you know, peaceful, loving Ottawa citizens. Nonetheless, by the eighth of, of February, uh, the uh, the police uh, of Ottawa said that that the people involved in this attempted arson had nothing to do with the convoy. Nonetheless, for weeks and weeks and weeks, uh, the the truckers uh, and the people protesting were were portrayed as arsonists. Wow! So much and, for uh, this, for the media. A, yeah, and this has a history, a particular history in Canada. Uh, in 1970, we had the FLQ crisis, the Federation of Liberation of Quebec, and there were a number of uh, you know a cabinet minister in, in the province of Quebec and another, I think, an ambassador uh, who were. Uh, who were kidnapped? One of them was killed. Uh, I mean, you know, and and the prime minister's current prime minister's father, Pierre Elliott Trudeau, uh, declared the War Measures Act, which was originally began in in 1914 in World War One, and uh, and they rounded up, I think, maybe over 500 people in Quebec, and 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 so on, and then, uh, but as time went on with the FLQ crisis. And dispirited FLQ members left the cell groups. The cell groups of the FLQ, some of them, were um, were infiltrated by undercover RCMP agents. And as and as time wore on, uh, numbers of FLQ cell groups were now peopled only by undercover RCMP agents who continued to issue threatening press statements uh, for the press to gobble up and, and frighten Canadians. Uh, there was a barn in, uh, in Quebec that was burned down, arson. It turned out the RCMP was responsible for that. It sounds like and the same, result, same thing the authorities were doing uh, post-9-11 in terms of creating yeah. uh, so-called Islamic terrorism. Exactly. And so, and so you have... Uh, the, the, the War Measures Act came under scrutiny. What happened in, uh, with the whole way that the RCMP dealt with the FLQ crisis? Uh, there was a McDonald Commission, a Keeble Inquiry, and eventually in 1988, uh, the Mulroney government, with uh, Defense Minister Perrin Beatty, passed the Emergencies Act, which was the successor to the War Measures Act, including some of the exact wording of the War Measures Act, but putting around more safeguards to make sure that that the the pat the Invoking the Emergencies Act would be a last, uh, a last effort if everything else failed. If all other uh, uh, things listed in the criminal code, uh, federally or provincially or municipally, failed, then you would invoke the Emergencies Act. And yet, the Prime Minister went ahead and invoked the Emergencies Act uh, on the 14th of February as a Valentine's present, perhaps, to Canadians. And wow. What was, going, what was going on, which I didn't know about until I, I listened to a very long three-hour interview uh, with K- Keith Wilson, who's uh, 
the convoy, uh, one of the convoy lawyers, uh, is that there was in the week of the, you know, by about the 7th or 8th or 9th of uh, February, uh, convoy leaders had met with uh, police in Ottawa and city uh, hall, uh, city council um, representatives. And they put up a letter of agreement, uh, convoy leaders listening to all the rhetoric, uh, seeing how they were being depicted on the nightly news, wanted to tone down, uh, you know, the, the affect. And so they said, okay, uh, we'll move these trucks out of Ottawa. It's going to take a number of days. And the city of Ottawa agreed that this would be the case. It would take a number of days. And then we'll have, you know, People can uh, then, once they're driven their trucks to a farm and other places, they can come back downtown as pedestrians and protest. This was unfolding. And then as it was unfolding, the Ottawa police were stopping different truckers from removing their trucks in downtown Ottawa. Wow. People who were the truckers asked the, asked the police, why are you doing this? And they said these were instructions from the federal government. So it, it seems that the prime minister wanted uh, to have political theater and have his own, um, for bit lack, of, lack of a better example, uh, his own January 6th, as it were, to uh, have a media circus and political theater uh, to demonize those who are not uh, bending to his will. And so, uh, so then, you know, he, he passed the Emergencies Act on February 14th, uh, former uh, Defense Minister Perrin Beatty, who drafted the Emergencies Act, offered uh, in an in interview with the press that he thought that the standard uh, for passing the Emergencies Act hadn't been met. The New Democratic Party uh, justice critic at the time, uh, Sven Robinson, also said that the uh, standard uh, had not been met. And in fact, the city of Ottawa had, under I think Section 4, an ability to just uh, to require all vehicles to be off the roads on a nightly basis. This is a municipal law, which they could have enforced. And the National Post asked the question, you know, why? Why have they not gone ahead and used the, the legal tools that they have uh, to uh, remove the trucks from the city, if, you know, the city streets, if this is what they need to do? I mean, this is really turning, a national, turning things into a national emergency that have to do with with parking permit issues, um, there was no violence. I mean, there's no there's no um, uh, there's no incidents of any uh, of any uh, stores being broken into. Um, there was you know lots and lots of uh, allegations. Minister Lametti uh, made the suggestion that um, that the the truckers had had weapons with them. Uh, rifles and other things. Uh, but when he was pressed uh, on the 17th of February uh, to say, you know, uh, you've inferred that this is the case, is it the case? He said, uh, not that we know of. And in, in uh, the 24th of March, the interim uh, Ottawa police chief, uh, Steve Bell, also said under 20, 30 minutes of, of questioning, he sort of wiggles away, you know, for 30 minutes of this parliamentary committee, you know, were there any trucks that had guns or weapons on them? And he finally concedes after 30 minutes of, of prevaricating, well, no, no, not at all. And so 
And then the Prime Minister has said uh, that the only reason that they finally decided to pass the Emergencies Act was because uh, policing officials uh, made the request that they do this. But now we have, uh, you know, several months later, the RCMP Commissioner Brenda Leckie has said, no, we never made that request. Uh, the former police chief, um, the Ottawa police, um, uh, Soli, and, uh, and the interim police chief, Steve Bell, also said, not to their knowledge, did anyone make that request? Same with the Canadian uh, Border uh, Services. And so you've got a pattern where there are allegations, and there was just a cavalcade of, of unending allegations against this group. And, and I want to quote something from a former attorney general, liberal attorney general, Jody Wilson-Raybould, because in her book, Indian in the Cabinet, she writes about an, inter, an encounter with the prime minister who wanted her to change her story about the SNC-Lavalin affair in Quebec, which was a, a, a company uh, that, that gave a lot of money to the liberals, and there, was, um, there were problems, you know, corruption, illegal, illegal things going on with, with that. And, and he wanted uh, her to change her, her story uh, and give the company a deferred prosecution agreement. And she says, um, he asked me, and this is at the Fairmont Hotel in Vancouver, he asked me if I trusted him. I could see the agitation visibly building in the prime minister. His mood was shifting. I remember seeing it. I remember feeling it. I had seen and felt this before on a few occasions when he would get frustrated and angry, but this was different. He became strident and disputed everything I had said. He made it clear that everyone in his office was telling the truth and that I and others in my office were not. He told me I had not experienced what I said. I did. He used the line that would later become public, that I had, quote, experienced things differently. I knew what he was really asking, what he was saying. In that moment, I knew he wanted me to lie, to attest that what had occurred had not occurred. And, and, and for me, as a Canadian citizen, I mean, there's, there's numbers of, of instances where the prime minister has clearly lied about things that are important. And so he, you know, throughout this whole pandemic, he, he, he leans on, on his, his slogan, Trust the Science but he has also created uh, an environment where there can be no debate, no scrutiny at all of any claims by health authority uh, people, uh, no, no, no questioning of anything. It's just simply, we know what we're doing. Shut up. You know, that doesn't only go against science, Ray, but it also cuts against the whole uh, philosophy of liberalism, which is that by allowing the freedom uh, to speak out and allow all parties to express their points of view and debate. That's how we get to the truth. And interestingly, it seems that this philosophy of liberalism isn't working anymore as, as the self-proclaimed liberals like Trudeau turn out to be authoritarians. Yeah. Cause what, what is, you know, I mean, it's given me, you know, reason to, to look back again. I don't, you know, it's not kind of like parlor conversation very often, but I, I, I just, I had to go back and look at, well, their behavior um, as a government is very illiberal. All of these uh, hard and fast rules, uh, no, no option for people, 
to around it, you're fired. Um, and so, uh, you know, liberalism, you know, has traditionally since, uh, since uh, the birth of the Renaissance has been, um, been about egalitarian values, that everybody has this, you know, is equal, um, that everybody, uh, regardless of their distinguishing features or circumstances, in this case, their vaccination status, all has the same moral worth. Uh, and, and so it's, and also, um, liberals from the 18th century onward have, um, have rallied to defend uh, variously an individual's right not to be sold into slavery or forced labor, the right not to be tortured, the right not to be sexually assaulted, uh, uh, women's right to choose, uh, the right for the security of one's person, uh, which going back to the Nuremberg Code in 1947, after the uh, horrors of, of, of you know, treatment of people in, in Nazi prison camps, uh, and other places, uh, you know, there's there's been a determination that people uh, should not have to go through uh, experiments without conform- informed consent. I think it's what is it the the Tuskegee experiments? Yeah, those were the that syphilis involved. experiments where they they gave uh, a lot, whole lot of uh, African Americans syphilis and de- deliberately didn't treat them for decades in some cases. Yeah, and didn't and that went up until the seventies, and they didn't let them know what was what the experiment was really about, and so they know that they're sick, but you know it's, it's just so the whole Nuremberg Code is is about you know you know no experiment should be conducted where there is a reason to believe that death or disabling injury will occur, uh, and so um, so it seems that uh, also. Uh, for many people in in this atmosphere of of anxiety uh, and and people being in their own little social uh, little little bubbles, uh, not being able to gather in the, in the in the commons and have a discussion about like a panel discussion in the library or or a town hall meeting and talk about how, how is this. How, what's happening for you? What are we learning about the pandemic? And is there anything not going well as well as what's going well? People were still just glued to their own little TV sets or radios or reading the news that they get in whatever way they do and making up their own minds in the context of being feeling very vulnerable and very afraid. And so I think that that has been a catalyst for a jettisoning of the, of most people that I know that, that, are, have called themselves liberal or New Democrat voters are completely on side with, uh, with the government's actions and story and, and I think have, have completely uh, disconnected themselves from what liberalism meant for centuries. Yeah. Do, you, do you agree that what's going on here has some parallels with the rise of earlier totalitarianisms like uh, like communism or Bolshevism and Nazism, as suggested by Matthias Desmet in his work on uh, mass formation? I, yeah, I think I think that, uh, you know, we've got uh, Christian Freeland, who is the deputy prime minister, former finance minister, I think. I mean, she's she's part of the um, she's been on the. Uh, the board, I think, of the World Economic Forum. She, I think, presently um, there's a list of people who are 
a part of the Bilderberg Group meetings happening, I think, in Washington, D.C. right now. And Henry Kissinger and James Baker and Christopher Freeland, among others, are, are there. So I think that the, uh, you know, if you look at World Economic Forum uh, rhetoric and, and papers, they're, they're, they're very interested in, in like, governments. Uh, I mean, our own sovereignty uh, as Canadians or sovereignty as Americans and other countries they're less interested in that. They want, uh, it seems, um, we, need to, we need to watch for, you know, like when, when there are, I gather, tabletop uh, exercises about monkeypox going on a, a year ago, and then lo and behold, now there's this little scare of monkeypox. It happened on the exact day foreseen in the exercises. Did you catch that, Ray, that uh, it was actually May 15th uh, of 2022, was the day that the exercises that were held back a year earlier in 2021 envisioned as the date that the monkeypox ep- epidemic would start. And then in reality, the first reports were on May 14th, so that the media reported it on May 15th, the exact day that had been <laughs> selected for the exercises. Uh, I thought that was quite an interesting coincidence. It is. It is. I mean, I, I mean, right now in, in, in Vancouver and maybe across the country, in Canada, we're hearing lots of stories about, about how eating strawberries can give you hepatitis. Now, you know, I mean, I haven't done a deep dive into that, but I, I'm somebody who's had strawberries, uh, you know, on my breakfast table. I like having them on toast or in my cereal, you know, since I was a young kid. And, uh, you know, nobody ever had a, had a bad uh, reaction to strawberries. So I'm just, I'm just interested. I, I actually did once. I, when I was picking strawberries on the Ile d'Orléans, uh, one of my, uh, my wonderful Canadian experiences, uh, I ate so many of them while I was picking them that I got a little bit sick. <laughs> yeah, well, that, 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 yeah, of course. And, and, you know, and if, you, if you sit down and eat 35 bananas, you might get a p- potassium overdose. But, but generally responsible <laughs> eating of strawberries or bananas or other things. But fortunately, you know, I, n- I never got a job picking bananas, or I, I would have had that problem too. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think that I think that as citizens, we need to we need to be uh, concerned about what um, you know what is it what is that play? And I, I you know and I and I, I mean the, the convoy goes into you know you know it's it's about it's about uh, the, the Charter of, of Rights and Freedoms. Uh, Brian Peckford is a, is a former uh, premier of Nova Scotia, who's 79, I think now, and uh, no, Newfoundland, sorry. And he um, he spoke at the uh, convoy protest in Ottawa and said that uh, the uh, the mandates uh, are violations of the charter, a charter that he uh, was one of the principal uh, people in, in drafting, so he knows what he's talking about. And I think that uh, uh, freedom of mobility, uh, if people don't have the freedom of mobility, you know, in Canada, people who are unvaccinated uh, cannot fly. They cannot take a, a bus. They can't take a train. They can't get on, on certain ships. Uh, and they can't leave the country. And, that, and that's still, still the case today? It is the case today. Wow. That's crazy. So, and, and I, I mean, I, I can, I can go because I, 
you know, I just was on a trip but out of town, out of out of the country. But but I think about this, you know, five to six million Canadians who are unvaccinated, and they can't, uh, you know, they can't uh, take advantage of uh, a public transportation. I mean, maybe maybe they can get on a on a subway and you know in Toronto or whatever, but, but they can't get on these, you know, major uh, modes of transportation to get them uh, across provinces. So they actually check and your vaccine we, passport to, before you get on the bus or the, the train? That's, that's what's in the case. And, and, uh, and they also have this thing called a ride can where you come back into the country and you have to, uh, you know, prove what your vaccination, what date you actually got your vaccination. Um, so there's, there's all of this um, this inner logic about about how dangerous it would be if somebody who was unvaccinated say got on a plane, but if but if a person who's got the booster has just gotten COVID, and that, I mean anecdotally, I know I know over a dozen people who are in their 60s, 70s, and 80s who, and I'm not asking people, but they've told me because, because I, I'll call them once in a while and ask them, Oh yeah, I, I got my booster, but now I've got COVID. And, and it, it just, it just makes me think that, that if you got even the booster and you got COVID, that to somehow continue to, to try and press this view that people who've been vaccinated uh, are not a danger to spread or pass infection and the unvaccinated who are, it's, um, it's more like, a, uh, well, it's, it's, it's ideology or, or, you know, it's like, it's like mm-hmm. a statement of faith. It's, this is, this cannot be examined because. Yeah. You yeah. Examine real, yeah. Well, there, there are actually the studies out of, out of the UK. Oh, no, the studies are actually showing now that the, uh, there are more cases proportionately among vaccinated than unvaccinated people. That is, you're more likely to become a COVID case in the UK if you've been vaccinated than if you haven't. Yeah. So it's it's um, it, in order to maintain the the current policies, um, the prime minister and other other uh, people, Bonnie Henry, uh, uh, Theresa Tam have to simply maintain um, a, a stance of simply ignoring and not discussing uh, anything that anyone of any, you know, regardless of their, of their credentials or reputation, uh, they won't, they won't uh, uh, make, make the time to talk to doctors or scientists about, about other information or even, even look at uh, uh, UK information or from Israel or, or Iceland that could call responsibly call into question what's going on. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. And and we only have maybe six minutes left here, maybe seven. And I wanted to get to the question of whether this is a sort of a betrayal of liberalism by people like Trudeau who profess to be liberals, or whether there is a problem uh, or there are contradictions in liberalism itself that are causing this because uh, I had Peter Simpson on the show talking about political illiberalism, which is his book. He's defending illiberalism. And I, I think yeah. there's a good case that liberalism has, well, it's, it's got built in contradictions and it's, it's failing now. And among the contradictions of course, are that if the highest value is individual freedom to go out and fulfill yeah. individual desires, 
that is going to free the sociopathic element to go out and fulfill their desires for wealth and power. And pretty soon you end up with a sociopathic oligarchy, which ends up seeing the highest kind of freedom to preserve is their freedom to grab as much money and power as they can to break into new markets and use foreign policy uh, to do that and generally to run rampant over the world. And I would argue that you're better off without liberalism as your central core national political philosophy. You're better off with a religious uh, theocracy, as Peter argued on my show. And now liberalism is a perfectly good tendency within a larger um, religious dispensation, shall we call it? That is that um, if you have, an, let's say, a, a Islamic Republic of Iran, which is, quote unquote, a theocracy, not a liberal democracy, but it has de- democratic elements. It has liberal elements and it values the individual for reasons that come from the religious scriptures. And you end up with a totally different approach to liberalism than you have in the West, which, as I see it, is currently essentially an oligarchy ruled by sociopaths. Um, so I would argue that liberalism has failed due to its own contradictions. It isn't, it isn't betrayed. It's just that it has these built-in problems. Uh, how would you respond to that? Well, I, I think, well, I think that if, if liberalism maintained its valuing of, uh, of equality, uh, maintaining its value of, uh, of people who, who are, um, you know, who, I, I, you know, letting people, uh, regardless of their differences, be able to uh, make decisions for themselves. I mean, those kind of things are things that I think a government can work with. I mean, it's ironic that, that, that the conservative government, as a conservative party in Canada, is the one that, that uh, in, in, in Parliament and in the Senate, uh, keeps uh, reminding the Liberal government of of what would be classic liberal values. Now, of course, there's always been contradictions with liberalism. You know, even Abraham Lincoln, you know, for a while he was actually not opposed to slavery, and then he changed his mind. And this, there's, there's lots of things that are, that are problems with, uh, with a consistent view of liberalism. I mean, liberal, you know, comes from the word liber, which is free, which is also liber, also is the root word for the word liberty. So, I mean, there's, there's some things that we can draw from it, but I think that I think that it's been hijacked, um, and you know, by people who purportedly are liberal, quote, Liberal Party of Canada leaders, that really have no uh, no interest in in in, in liberalism, or uh, I mean, it's like they want. There's, there seems to be. Um, an interest in reining in um, the general public, uh, keep people um, anxious, uh, keep keep having scary stories coming forth uh, that 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 gives the government a lot of power. And I think that what's what I see happening in Canada, at least, is that uh, when people believe that there that there is something which is being portrayed as an imminent threat to their own life that they're going to die if they don't do the following things. What happens is people don't generally question the claims of government. They just rally around the flag uh, atmosphere and become almost militant in, in enforcing 
uh, the rules that the government puts in place. And that is, uh, you know, that that's not, um, doesn't look like anything to do with a liberal, quote, government, and, and much more to do with, uh, you know, neo-fascist or something, you know, something else. Mm-hmm. And you call it neoconservatism, which is actually a form of neo-fascism. But again, Ray, I think the neoconservative critique of liberalism is unfortunately not entirely wrong. Uh, the neocons say that the only natural law is the law that the strong rule over the weak and do whatever they want with the weak and all the rest is just fluff and illusion and and fairy tales and myths and and they also you know you could translate that they might also say that the only freedom that matters and indeed the only freedom that really exists is the freedom of the strong to do whatever they want with the weak so people like trudeau and other members of the oligarchy are indeed concerned with their freedom to uh, do whatever they want, which, of course, doesn't help other people. It's just like the, the slave owners want the freedom to deal in slaves without being restricted in any way. That's freedom for them. And this is the problem with when you have freedom as your highest value, the people who are going to end up enforcing and, and interpreting that are the people who use freedom to accumulate power. <laughs> so everybody's going to become unfree. So freedom isn't a good principle to organize society around. You need you need to organize society around God and not around freedom. Yeah, well, I guess it was Janice, uh, Janice Joplin said, freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. Uh, I think people <laughs> like Carl Rove said, yeah. Carl Rove said uh, you know, at uh, one point, uh, you know, to a reporter, something like, uh, you know, you know, we, meaning him and other people like Bush and Cheney and so on, we're the people that make history. And you'll write about it, you'll watch what we're doing, and you'll, you'll think about it, and you'll comment on it. And we'll just carry on making history. We'll make our own reality. We'll, we'll make things, you know, we'll just do stuff. And you'll have to sort of catch up with it after the train keeps leaving the station. Yeah, you, the reality-based so, community, will have to uh, just uh, just follow us and keep, you know, looking, seeing what we do. Yeah, that's a great quote, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All too real. So, yeah. 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 So, you know, so it's, uh, I mean, in our country, in Canada, uh, the, uh, you know, the, there's, there's not enough, uh, whatever, checks and balances, you know, whatever kind of, of government would be the, the best. Uh, clearly, the, I mean, the prime minister now has, I, mean, I think, 1,500 uh, people in the, in the prime minister's office. I mean, it's, it's just like exploded into this huge, Saying that there's 72 secret orders in council, so there's an awful lot of secrecy. And yeah, it's, 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 so, so so much for the liberal administration of Trudeau. Well, we hit the end of the hour. I hear the music. Uh, so thank you so much, Ray McGinnis. It's been great uh, talking about this horrible situation up in Canada. And, and let's quickly remind the listeners that your wonderful book, the most important 9-11 truth book in quite some time, is called Unanswered Questions, What the September 11th Families Asked and the 9-11 Commission Story. Congratulations, that's the book. That's it.